0: Good morning. It's great to see everyone here worshiping together. Thank you, music team, for helping lead us in worship. Such a privilege that we have, such an honor that we have, that we have so many skilled people helping lead us in song. to praise our Father. We're going to uh, continue actually finish our series going through 1st, and 2 Thessalonians, we've been in these two letters, these two books for the last uh, few weeks, you might say. And so we're bringing that to a close uh, this morning. As, and then we're going to look forward to Christmas and Advent series, Advent series starting next week. Uh, and so we're going to look at how we can sum up these two letters this morning. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Therefore, I thank you so much for this time in which we can come before you as your people, when we can praise your holy name, when we can open up your word and see how you've moved through history, see how you call people to action, see how you have saved us, not because of anything we have done, but because of your love and the sending of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for this morning as we open up your word that we can see you, that we can know you that you can work through your living word in ways that we can't even fathom to grow us to be your people more and more. Lord, we lift up this congregation. I lift up this congregation, these people who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, and I, I, I thank you for them. As we remember in Thanksgiving and what that means, and I'm so thankful for this body who loves you and seeks you. Lord, we pray for this body. We pray for those who are traveling, those who can't be here. We pray for those who might be undergoing uh, circumstances that are painful or struggling in those. Particularly, Lord, I lift up Susie and and the surgery she had yesterday, and I pray for good results. And I pray for peace and comfort for anyone who is going through struggles. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're seeking to summarize these two letters that we've been talking about for the last few months, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and how can we kind of sum what is going on in these two letters, and it's very interesting. First, we've got to remember what is happening, what's the context for why Paul is writing and first and 2 Thessalonians are actually pretty unique in that they're written almost back to back with very little time in between them. And Paul had just kind of helped plant this church and he's writing back because he hears some things and he wants to continue his teaching. And we can kind of see that story unfold when we read in Acts, Acts 17, where Paul goes into Thessalonica and he proclaims the gospel and people start coming to know who Christ is and the people of Thessalonica, the people who don't believe in Christ, have problems with this and they start rioting, so much so that Paul and, and his friends uh, Silas and Timothy have to flee. The disciples there, these new-fledged Christians, said, get out of town. And so they flee and, and uh, away from this and go to Berea and then go to Athens. And at that point, Paul, hearing about these new Christians undergoing these kind of circumstances where they're in the city that does not want them there, writes these two letters almost back to back. And what he focuses on is something that the Thessalonians got wrong: is that they either heard or they were confused about when Jesus Christ was going to return, and so they were confused about this, and they thought maybe it already happened, or they thought it might happen at any moment. And so the things were kind of going on in their in their community where people were stopping working, people were kind of uh, just kind of sitting back and being idle. And so Paul writes these two letters to kind of give them an understanding of when Jesus is going to return or how that's going to happen or kind of actually what they should feel about Jesus' return. And when you read these two letters, at least 12 times, almost every single chapter, Paul mentions or references Jesus returning back, coming back to get his people. That's the main theme of these two letters That Jesus will return. Now nowadays we've talked about this extensively as we've been going through these letters. There might be many different kind of feelings that kind of well up when we think about Jesus' return. We have different kinds of systems and how people imagine this happening or these things taking place, and we can have these feelings maybe of confusion. We don't know how it's going to happen, or we're confused about why it's even happening. We could have anxiety about what it looks like for Jesus to return. We could have hope, as we should. We could have fear. We could have expectation. We could have all, of all of these things, and Paul wants to clear the air. He wants to clear the confusion. He wants to relieve the anxiety some people might have. He wants to shore up that hope. He wants to dismiss the fear. He wants the Christians to have this expectation that is rooted in the promise of Christ's return that carries them through whatever they're going through, particularly the persecution of that church there. He wants the Christians to have this confidence in who Christ is and the promise of his return. That's what we see through these two letters. And to sum up these two letters, we're just going to actually look at Paul's closing words to the church in both letters, his benedictions to them. And so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24, and we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. And I'll read them and then we're going to talk about them in a little bit. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, Paul says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says this in verse 16. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, the Lord be with you all. And when I was looking at these two benedictions, summing up this, these two books that we've been going through, the theme of peace was reigning through these uh, verses. And it's reigning kind of through the whole letters. And so I'll just give you this. What, how should we take away the theme of this these two books, I'll just say this, Christ's return gives us peace. Then, when we're thinking about how do we receive peace or what does peace look like in this world, Paul roots it firmly in Christ's return. He roots it in the fulfillment of Christ's promises, his promise to be with us, his promise to complete the work he has started with us. He roots it there. And so when we think about how can we have peace in this world, Paul points to Christ and him returning for us. Christ's return gives us peace. Peace is a big thing. Peace is important. It's sad the fact that the sad the the sad fact of the matter is that all too often we don't have peace. We live in a turbulent world that kind of can distract us and we're looking around the events of of the whole world and we're inundated with so much information, so many news articles, so many items that we're supposed to care about and we should care about that how can we have peace? We we suffer so often from anxiety that actually when you look around the state of America, particularly that 28% of American adults say they suffer from anxiety in some form or fashion, that after the pandemic, COVID, it went up 25%. That when we look at a society that should have peace, we seemingly have everything, don't we? We don't. People are lacking in peace. They're filled with anxiety and they wonder what is happening with this world. And what Paul says to the Thessalonians is true for us. That when we're lacking in peace, when we're suffering from anxiety, when we're wondering what is happening in this world, we're called to refocus our eyes on the God of peace, the God who gives us peace. That's how he starts off. He says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And this is our Thessalonians again. He says, may the God of peace himself, that this God that we worship is a God of peace who gives us peace. But the peace that God gives us goes far and beyond any kind of subjective feeling of well-being about the world or our lives. That can come and go as we know. The peace that God gives us is the objective reality, the objective state of knowing who God is and knowing that God is for us and knowing that God has a plan for us and knowing that God will finish and complete that plan. This is an objective state. That sometimes maybe our feelings can come and go. They ebb and flow as life and circumstances hit us this way and that way. But the truth is, Paul says, look towards Christ and you'll see a peace that transcends all understanding. A peace that roots you firmly in his promises. the peace that roots you in his character and what he has done. And it grounds us in the reality of who God is. It gives us this deep peace. A peace that only can come from the God of peace Himself. This is a deep peace. It starts fundamentally with a peace with God. It's actually the biggest and most vital need for humanity is that we have peace with God. Without Christ, humanity has no peace with God. Without Christ, actually humanity is at war with God. Without Christ, humanity is in defiance of the Almighty, going its own way, seeking to live as their own gods, and there's no peace there. There's no subtleness there. We're separated, we're distanced from, we're doing our own thing. And yet, when Christ appears, what does he do? He brings us a peace with our almighty God. He reconciles us together with our maker, with our father, with our, the heavenly God that we know. He brings us that peace. As he settles our debt, pays for our sin and brings us back into a right relationship with God the Father. This is what Paul means when he mentions in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Why? Because Christ has saved us. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have peace with God because he's brought us back into God's good graces. He has paid for our debt. He has satisfied our sin. He has handed us his righteousness. And so now we stand before God as one of his own. We have peace for God through Jesus. It's a deep peace. Far beyond the circumstances we face, far beyond even the feelings we might experience, we have a peace with God because Christ has established that peace for us. But that peace now wells up and I would say overflows just as this objective state. And it does impact how we view life. We should have peace in situations that other people might not have peace in. That we have peace at knowing our mighty God because he's with us. He cares for us. I love how Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. That because we we know our great father, fruit Jesus Christ, we know who God is. We know how he's working for us. We know how he works in history. We know how he loves us. We know the fact that he's even given his son for us. We have this peace. Why? Because we can stay steadfast as we trust in him. That we should let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, as Paul says in Colossians because we know who God is through Jesus and his care for us, and we have this peace. Which means that when we go about the world and we live life and we have circumstances that beat us up, when we have circumstances that don't go well, when life does not seem to work out how we want it to work out, we can still have a peace as we look upon our God. We can still have a peace as we're going through the fire because we know he's there with us. We can still have a peace knowing our God cares for us and knowing that he will not let us be consumed by this. We know it, who God is, and so we have this peace. And this peace is greater than the world can give us. This deep peace that God gives us is greater than anything else we can find in this world. Because everything else we look towards for peace in this world is temporary or can't bear the weight of our, our, our expectations and will collapse under it. It will fade away. Whether we look for peace in our family that can easily be taken away or that can't actually bear the weight of our expectations, Whether we look to peace for our bank account or political parties or just things going well in our life, these things are all temporary, temporal, and can easily change on a dime. But when we look towards Christ and know who he is, that's a peace that transcends all of that. Jesus himself said in John 14, peace I leave leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world do I give you peace. Let your hearts not be troubled. Let uh, Let them not be afraid. He gives us peace in himself because we know his care for us. We know what he has promised for us. We know how he's working in our life. Philippians 4:7 and the peace of God, which transcends or suppresses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that, because Paul says it transcends, it surpasses understanding. People from the outside might look in and say, why would you have peace in this circumstance? Why would you have peace if your life is going like this? And we can just say, because we know who God is and that whatever's happening now is not the final word. Whatever we're going through right now is not the final say, but God gets the final say. He is still at work and we trust in him and we look towards him and we have peace because of that. This is a peace we have because of Christ. And this is all based on this great and powerful promise that Christ will return, that Christ will come home and bring us home with him. That we have this peace because Christ's return gives us peace. But not just peace in what Christ is actually going to come back, but peace because when he comes back and how he comes back, he'll finish the work he started in us. I love how in First Thessalonians, at the end of, the, of this, he says, <clears throat> Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That when Christ returns, he completes the work he started. And I love this because when we think about who Christ is and how he's going to complete this work, we need it. It's this is peace that comes from knowing that he is still at work and he's going to complete what he has done. Because when we look at your life, or my life, or we look at our, each other's lives, or your own life, whatever it may be, when we look at how we're living or how we are, we say, "How could it possibly be true that God is going to glorify this?" We stumble. We fail. We mess up. We're not as holy as He has called us to be. We willfully choose sometimes not to do what He's called us to do. Sometimes, if we're honest, we willfully choose to do what He's called us not to do. We're disobedient children if our hope is that somehow we can clean our act up well enough that when he returns, he goes, good job, that is not good. That's not a peace at all. For that your hope that somehow before Christ comes or before you are called home, you can somehow put your life into order. You have no hope because you'll be striving, you'll be struggling, and you'll be failing because we can't be perfect, and that's the standard. But I love how Paul reminds us where this peace comes from. That God does it. God will bring us to completion. God will finish his work. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it's the same thing he's saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's saying the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely. And may your whole soul and soul, uh, soul, whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing to God and saying he is the one who's going to do it. He is the one who's going to finish his work. He is going to bring you to completion that when he brought you to saving faith, when you came to know who Christ is and he gave you a new spirit, he gave you a new and he made you a new creation because you believe in Jesus Christ. He doesn't just leave you there and say, get to work. No, he's going to finish his work. He's going to bring you to completion. He's going to sanctify you, make you one of his own. Bit by bit, little by little, you're going to be remade new in his image. He's going to recreate who he wants you to be in him through the work of the Spirit, through the work of the Word, as we follow him. We're going to be made so that when he returns, whether at the incense or gradually, we're going to be made perfect so that when he returns, our spirit, soul, and body will be blameless before our mighty God. That we trust that he is doing this work. It's a great promise that God is still at work. He doesn't just get us on our way and say, continue, organize your life, you can do it. No, he's with us every step of the way, bringing us us to completion as he's working in us. We trust God to do this. We trust that great promise that we'll be completed. We'll be fully completed a finished work as we stand before God our Father, that He'll finish what He started. Now, this doesn't mean that we sit back, propped up our feet, and relax and drip, pop open a wine cooler. I don't, a wine cooler is still a thing? I don't know. I act like I drink a lot of wine coolers. I don't. We don't relax, we don't stop working. We don't say, oh, he's doing it, so hey, it's all carefree. No, as we've seen throughout the letter again and again, it us, in light of the fact that he's going to complete us, in light of the fact that he's doing the work, in light of the fact he's giving us what we need, we now lean into that and we work with his power that's working within us. We lean into that and say, God, use me, create me, make me who you want me to be. And we lean into that. We open up the word and we let the word dwell in our hearts richly. We seek to let God form us as he wants to form us. We seek to put ourselves in the situations where we can love people as we're called to love people, and we can serve people in the ways we're called to serve people, that we can proclaim the gospel in the ways we're supposed to and called to proclaim the gospel. We put ourselves out there and let God work in us. This is not a call that Christians can be lazy and relaxed. No, this is a call to get up because you know the victory is insured. And when you know the victory is insured, you can fight with all your might because you know the end is there. And you know that even when your strength gives up, his strength will never fade. His strength will never be emptied. And he'll carry you through with what he's called you to do. So we don't sit back and relax. But we work in his power and in his way, trusting him to finish the work. And we do what he has called us to do, and we know he will complete us. And we have the peace of that completion as we look towards that future. Christ's return gives us peace. We can trust we'll have peace. We can trust that we will be totally sanctified, complete, blameless, and when does that happen? When Christ returns. If you're like me, you're probably like, man, <laughs> I want it to happen now. I'm not doing so well. I, don't, I, 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 I stumble and I fall and I need help. And we trust in him helping us presently, but we trust ultimately when Christ returns, when the final trumpet sounds, when he calls us home, when we see our heavenly father because we're ushered into the throne room by Jesus Christ, this is when we know this will be brought to completion, that in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be transformed like Christ. And we trust that when he comes home, when he comes to call us home, he'll finish it. And we trust in him this refocuses our attention. I love it because it refocuses our attention off of ourselves. So often I think we get caught up in this kind of uh, like, just like introspection and worrying about who we are that kind of stops us from growing or stops us from moving forward or we wonder, uh, we overly dwell maybe over our feelings too much and this takes our attention off of ourselves and back onto Christ where it should always be. It refocuses our attentions that when will this happen? When does this hope bring to completion? When Jesus Christ returns. And it lifts our eyes and focuses on Christ. That would lift us off of ourselves and our failings and even off our triumphs. It lifts our, our eyes off of the circumstances maybe we're going through right now or the hardships we're experiencing. It lifts our eyes off of all these things and refocuses them on Christ. And says, trust in him. Look to him. Know that he is coming back. And when he does, it will all be good. He'll wipe away every tear. There will no, be no more pain or hardship. And you will be glorified as one of God's children. Look to him. And when we think about and remember that this happens when Jesus returns, we now can wait with expectant hope. An expectant hope that gives us peace. We can wait knowing that no matter how hard this world pushes against us, we have someone who's grayer than this world. No matter how hard this world can hit us, we have someone who writes all wrong no matter what we might be going through now, that's not the end. The end is when Christ returns and calls us home and we trust in him. We wait with expectant hope. And we trust in this, that it is the work of God who brings it to completion. I love that in verse 24 of... Uh, Chapter 5 of Thessalonians, Paul says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Putting the faithfulness on God and that he's going to do it. He's going to bring this completion. We know he's going to finish his work. We know he's going to do what he said. We know he is at work. And Paul says it a little different way in uh, 2 Thessalonians, the Lord be with you all. That great promise that the Lord is with us and will not forsake us, that the Lord is working with us as he's with us. He is faithful and he's doing that work. That our peace is rooted in God. Our peace is rooted in what he is doing. Our peace is not in how well we follow or how well we can Conform is in who God is and his character and in his love. I was actually reminded by of this by my, my daughter this uh actually yesterday. Um she's six years old and she loves to sing and she makes up songs and she sometimes you know makes up weird words or it can be kind of humorous. Sometimes she can't read that well, but you know, when she's standing up here and we're singing, she can catch on what the words are, and so every now and then she'll She'll belt out "Glorious Day," you know, all this stuff like that. She wasn't singing before, but she got that one down. But she loves to sing, and she and, I, and so she does, and so for some reason, my wife and I started singing uh, "Jesus Loves Me." This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm not going to sing because I can't sing. You Know little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. I was we were just singing that for, for some reason, and she so she starts singing, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, even when I don't know my Bible. Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, even when, and she keeps on going with so, so even when, and I was like, that, That's it, that's a beautiful word the picture of the grace of God and who He is. That Jesus loves me, and we can stop there, period. But it's a great word that we see again and again through scripture that God does the work. Jesus loves me and we can become this even when we mess up. Jesus loves me even when we don't live up to the standard. Jesus loves me and we can add again and again and we trust in this truth that God does it. That God's the one at work. He who calls us is faithful. He will surely do it. We trust in that. That because he's faithful, because he's working in us, we're changed, yes. But that provides the root of who we are. And the, the fruit is naturally produced as we trust in who God has made us. doesn't give license to sin all the more. No, if we are changed and we should lean into that. But we know we're imperfect humans still to this day. If you don't know that, someone's probably going to tell you. But we trust in God because he does it. He is the one at work. He is faithful. And the Lord will be with us all, working in us, transforming us bit by bit to make us who he is. Paul ends both of these letters, as he ends most of his letters, with the statement, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Oh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, he has all these letters, and that might be a formulaic kind of ending to his letters, but I don't think it's really that formulaic. I think it's, again, at the end of the letter, he wants us, again, to point our eyes or or pay attention to the glorious gospel that we believe, that the grace of Jesus Christ is why we gather. The grace of Jesus Christ is why we can stand before our Heavenly Father at the end. That the grace of Jesus Christ is why we have faith, Hope in Jesus' returning and not fear the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his unmerited favor, that when we were sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with God, when we were in rebellion of the highest, that we looked upon the almighty sovereign Lord of the universe who rightly demands worship, and we saw, nah, I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the fact that God loves us in spite of that. That he gives us his son. That God gives us his son and why we're still sinners. That God sends his son to live the perfect life we could never live. That he sent his love, His son to go to the cross of death that he did not deserve, but we all deserved. That he, as his son died upon the cross, all our sins were nailed to that cross in and on him so that now there's nothing left of God's wrath because it's all been poured out on his son. And what does he have left for us? Love. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we exist as a church, why we exist as Christians. And so we remember this, when we remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we remember the gospel, the truth of who God is and how he loves us in spite of ourselves, we know we can have peace. It actually makes us expectant and hopeful as we long for and we yearn for the return of our rightful king that we look towards who Christ is and know his love and we long for him coming home or bringing us home so that we can have the final peace that will last forever as we are embraced as God's children and we're brought home to him. Christ's return gives us peace. So where does our hope rest? When you think about our, self, our life, where do we, what do we hope in? Where do we place our hope? Where do we place our, 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 um, our security? Do we look for things in this life that are temporary, things that can, are, are fleeting, that can be easily taken away? Or do we focus on who Christ is and the love of our God and remember him? Looking above this life and the worries. Looking about what above whatever we're going through, and remembering Him and His promises that He's been true to us so far, and He'll be true to us to the very end. Hope in who God is, who Christ is, and His love. Focus your eyes on Him because we know we have peace when we know who He is. So join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, that we can know it, we can read it, we can see the truth of where our hope truly comes from. Lord, I just ask that all of us, wherever we are, we can focus on you. We can see the reality of who you are and your love, that we can be reminded of it. That when the world gets crazy, life gets hard, we can lift our eyes up and know you. Lord, I just pray for each and everyone who calls River Valley home. I pray for anyone here listening to this that we can have the peace of God that transcends all understanding in Jesus Christ. I pray for those who might not know Jesus Christ in that way, that they can want and desire that peace and so look to him, ask who he is. And so know that peace and, and know they can have that peace if they know Christ. Lord, let us be people who proclaim this peace to all who need to hear it. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to stand and join us in this last song, I invite you to do that now.